It's April 7th, 2021, and you're listening to the Architecture Geeks Podcast. I'm Larry. And I'm Matthew. And we're your friendly neighborhood architects being geeky as we want to be. As promised, everyone, we are back after a two-week gap because, well, someone started a new job and seems to be having a good time, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's been a a bit of an adjustment, but yeah, no, I, I I've really enjoyed getting back to uh, an, an office scenario. Not not so much for the office itself. <laughs> I could I could do with or without the office, but I think the part that really shocked me was that I missed just being around people. As as introverted uh, as as I am, I. I think that first week I just kind of smiled on the inside because there was, hey, oh my gosh, there's a person around. It's and it's it's not one of the six people I've seen for the last year and is stuck in 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 my house with. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it just felt good. <laughs> yeah, I think there's something to that. Definitely that that sense of of having having other people around i mean i don't don't get me wrong i I love james to death but we've been in each other's business for the last year on a pretty much full-time basis so to be around in that sort of environment i think i think they're especially when when you have been so limited i think having those other people around certainly helps a lot And, and of course you came from an office where there was only three of you and sometimes most of the times or i guess well maybe probably a lot of the time there were really only two of you in the office and it was very quiet. And so, so I think that like, like any new job, you're sort of adjusting to a different environment, but I think the whole idea of having more than just a couple of people there certainly must feel good just, just because of, of the situation for the last year or so. Yeah. And like I said, I think, uh, I mean, work, working from home has been great, but like, I think in total, I counted it up and it was, I saw six people on a regular basis. And other than that, there, I mean, there was no variety. There was no, I mean, I was just stuck at home and, 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 and again, safe. I'm, I do, I, I get what I need to, and I'm, you know, having fun with the dogs and all, but it, it was definitely a good change of pace to be out and about in the world with with, with some friendly new faces. <laughs> now the downside to that, of course, is that you've now had to start getting up at a regular time and be in the office at a regular time. So suddenly, I, I know that there's that that weird change in routine. Just, and I think everyone's probably as as people slowly migrate back into an office environment. I would imagine a lot of people are going to have that experience of, well, I've been used to sort of you know, slow start to my day. And if I, you know, I can, I can sleep in a little bit longer and then just kind of get up and go into the office and do whatever I need to do. And and so suddenly now you're sort of back on that sort of set regimen because your day starts at this time and it ends at this time. There's a definite, definite sort of window that you're sort of tied into. So I suspect like a lot of people, you're probably, there's probably still some adjustment to be made there. Oh, for sure. But you know, I, I, I'm not complaining about the, the post pandemic traffic though, that that's one aspect that I feel like has gotten at least a little better. Not, <laughs> I would assume it would still be kind of, kind of awful going in. 
I I mean, there are the the typical choke points around Dallas, but as long as you know where to avoid them, you know it it's not not terrible yet. <laughs> and that's the best you can say about traffic is it's not terrible yet. <laughs> that's definitely a a nice thing to be able to say that it's not horrible yet. I I do I have found a couple of times when I've been going up to see clients, getting very frustrated because I'm not used to being in the traffic because I don't have to drive into an office anymore. So I'm not that that is as accustomed to to doing that. So it's just a whole whole other experience. But anyway, you've started your new job. You, you're liking it. So hopefully everything will continue along the same vein. Or we'll be having a totally different podcast later on about what's went wrong. <laughs> and and I know I know we won't because I'm, the general feel I'm getting from you, which has been kind of fun. To I think that's sort of the fun part about mentoring you is that I get to hear all the all the bits and pieces. But on to the actual podcast, folks. For this podcast, we are going to actually do another international series episode. But as we were talking about, what we want to talk about sort of that kind of devolved into less about international and more about how we express ourselves as architects. And, and, and oddly enough, the common expressions and language that we hear and how how architecture and the built environment has influenced how we actually express ourselves today because every language has its own sayings and these expressions that are very unique to them. And it's, it's very unique to that language. It's very unique to period of time. It's very unique to the culture. And as a good example of that, there's the, the expression, you know, it's one of those idioms that's, that's we hear a lot. It's going to cost an arm and a leg, and, but we don't think about what that really means or where it really came from because well, we just don't. We've been saying it for so long, but what we don't realize is that there are are backstories to stuff like that, and there are histories of stuff. And, and as as an example, that expression "costing an arm and a leg," it's really a reference to the cost of the portraits in the 18th century. The lowest price point was to paint someone from the head, like someone's head and shoulders. That was the easiest thing to do, the cheapest thing to do. So painting someone's arms costs extra because you need a larger canvas, you need more time, and you had to have more paint. So that that's what we used these things started building on. And of course, the most expensive option was to include your arms and your legs. So this has over time come down that that expression of saying it's cost an arm and a leg. So it's really, really that sort of living record of the culture's history. And and so the, we thought this would be a sort of great way for us to to sort of talk about about what we hear and really about how architecture sort of sort of plays into that. Yeah, so today we're going to be looking at how architecture has influenced the culture and language in a, in a fascinating way from my perspective here. <laughs> we're going to look at how the built environment of London helped coin the term pulling your leg. Uh, we'll explore how the Civil War prisons created an architect's worst nightmare. And we'll end with a short trip to Brazil to dig into the culture behind the saying, Dormir no ponto, and the design implications behind sayings like that. For those of you wondering, where did this random thought come from? The, the, the backstory behind today's podcast came in a fun way. I'm sure I've mentioned on the podcast before that I have twin two-year-olds. And 
As the twins have gotten older, they have grown up speaking both Portuguese and English because my wife and her entire family is from Brazil. And, and, and so they've just naturally heard both over the course of their two-year existence. <laughs> and so much so that my daughter now has almost the same skill level in speaking Portuguese as I do. But over the course of learning Portuguese alongside my kids, I picked up an expression in casual conversation that I didn't understand because I was translating in my head a little too literally. But that expression really tickled the, the architecture side of my brain, and I just had to look into it. And, and the more I read about the origin and, and history of these types of expressions, the, the more I saw how the built environment influenced the way we talk. Now, sadly, this conversation was also the moment that I realized that my daughter would soon outstrip my ability to speak Portuguese. So that that's wh honestly why this conversation stuck in my head. But, you know, because, ah. Uh, <laughs> it's a little i won't say depressing but but you think wow my, my child speaks better better portuguese than i do and and really i you know I, th I think it's nice that that they are learning both because they're at an age where it's easier for them to learn to learn that sort of stuff uh also i think you guys are in a school district that actually has a good language program in general so they'll be able to go into school already being able to speak, you know, speak two languages probably pretty well. But yeah, it's a little, I think it's, it's probably not the, well, it's probably the first moment you have, you're going to have when you realize that your kids are doing something better than you can. So I, I think you're, you're in for a lot of that, <laughs> in for a lot of that down the road. But what, what we wanted to start with, so, so to, to start the podcast, really, the first expression we really wanted to talk about is this notion of, the unique history, the history behind the term pulling your leg. And that reference is tied all the way back um, back to 19th century London. And for, for now, for us, we use it as, as, a, as a way to say, you know, sort of we're tricking someone in a joking manner. But in 19th century London, it goes back to the pairs of street thieves that would work in tandem to rob someone. One would work to trip up an unsuspecting victim. And then the other thief would rob the person as they were laying on the ground. So pulling your leg in those days was really a reference how, as to how that first thief would try to trip you up as the initial setup for the robbery. And if you look at it, the situation makes even more sense if you're also looking at how or what the built environment of 19th century London was like at the time. So, so keep in mind, this is the largest city in the world. You know, and that, that's at a time when the British Empire Empire was really at its height around the world. So it's the you know, largest city in the world. It was exper experienced this tremendous growth in the middle of the Industrial Revolution. So you had severe overcrowding. There was tremendous amounts of pollution covering the city. And the workers, there's exploitation of workers in the factories. So the city of London was a tough place to get buy-in. So you had this, this truly... I want to say urban environment that was creating a lot of of hardship for a lot of people. You know, on top of all of that, about fifty percent of the country still couldn't vote. So, the people who was hitting the most, the working class, really had no representation in government to address basically any of these concerns. So, you had all of this going on, and it's easy to see sort of 
how that type of situation might get might give rise to the tactics of how we now you know what we now say when we're saying you know okay you're pulling your leg for them it was something much more serious but you had this whole situation sort of develop that sort of created these circumstances so so yeah um definitely definitely not something we think of when we say it now much in the same way that that architects don't think about what it means to say when we're meeting a deadline you know that's one of the worst probably one of the worst things for an architect really to hear is that you know that familiar dread oh my god we have a deadline we have to meet a deadline but that also has its roots in the built environment the use of deadline was first established in 1863 during the american civil war Confederate prison camps established boundaries within the walls of the prison for prisoners of war that were noted by earthworms, picket fences, or stakes with strings. The prisoners were supposed to stay within those boundaries or get shot. So the term deadline was coined soon after because you would be dead if you crossed that line. That's what that meant. Now, in, in a morbid way, that's a prime example of the built environment influencing speech in a culture to such a degree that we still have that term deadline today and and if you've been an architecture student sometimes even when you've just been an architect but i can remember being an architecture student the word deadline you know especially when you were when you were getting ready to when you were getting ready to do jury and present to your professors deadline had a much more a sort of painful connotation to it not not as painful as potentially getting shot but that may also depend on may depend on your point of view a little bit but yeah Architects, the, the word deadline for architects, really, this is where this is coming from. So we've actually now have this word and and not the best origin, I guess. <laughs> I, not the best origin for a word that we use quite often in the architecture field. Yeah. And <laughs> and the, the saying that, that kicked this episode off in my head comes from Brazil. In, in Brazilian Portuguese, the saying... Dormir no ponto literally translates to I slept at the bus stop and is used to express the idea that someone missed an opportunity. For example, they slept at the bus stop, so they missed the bus they needed to take. And at the time I heard it, I had literally translated it in my head to mean I slept at the point and got very confused with the rest of the conversation. But but then Faye explained that ponto is short hand is a shorthand way of saying bus stop and and then it started making a little bit more sense and i was like oh okay that 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 all started clicking in my head a little bit <laughs> and the closest equivalent expression in english that i can think of might be you snooze you lose but it, it it's different in, in its cultural context. the The English saying might be a reference to American individualism and the idea of a work individual working hard to better his own lot in life. But to me, as an architect, the the Portuguese saying is, is so much more interesting because the saying revolves around the idea of reliable and ubiquitous public transportation, and and as as we've demonstrated earlier, sayings like this usually have some history that, that capture the, the spirit of the people and the culture that coined the saying, whether that be getting shot as you cross a line in, in, in 1860s <laughs> Civil War or, or going back to the, the 
downward pressures of the urban environment in London. This one's no exception. The fascinating thought to me as an architect that the Brazilian culture has a common expression that revolves around the idea of reliable public transportation is awesome. The the built environment around that culture has become so integrated into everyday life that there are now sayings that reference it. And on top of that, it's something that everyone understands because the culture of taking public transportation is so widespread and inclusive there. So if you go from, if you go from Rio, you can, you can drop that saying in Rio and people are going to understand it. And if you go up to the Northeast, people are still going to do the same thing. Like the saying is, is, is incredibly common and and everybody's going to know what you meant by that. It's, it's kind of neat. Well, in, in, in Dallas, if you said I slept at the bus stop, you, that would literally mean you slept at the bus stop. The way public transportation works around here isn't, isn't quite, (laughs) quite the same as in, in Brazil. So, so it's funny that that's really become that, that expression, that, that equivalent of to you snooze, you lose. And I, and I don't know that, that I don't know that that would be something that would ever take hold here because we don't have that reliable public transportation. I mean, I've grown up in Dallas, and really you've grown up in Dallas-ish, and even here the the public transportation is sort of iffy. You know, we we aren't the the urban environment here wasn't really built around efficient public transportation per se. But I also know that so so I went to went to school in Arlington for a little bit, but you went you did what six years of college at UTA, so you were in Arlington for quite a bit, and and they have, uh, you know, if you wanted to get to Arlington by any other way than the car, you were sort of sort of screwed on that point. Yeah, yeah. You contrast you contrast that that culture in Brazil with places like the city of Arlington here in the DFW area, which refuses to implement any kind of public transportation within the city. And and I mentioned Arlington here because it, it's the, the premier public sports hub in the entire area. It hosts the, the Rangers baseball. It has the Dallas Cowboys stadium and it's the only major sports city in the U S that I know of without a public transit option. Instead, all you get is this sea of parking lots, which uh, they're only used once a week during football season and then completely useless. And and they add zero value to the city in everyday life. So to me, it's, it's refreshing to see that there's a culture that values its public infrastructure enough to have a reference to it in normal conversation. We we are we are definitely not not meant for that um, that sort of sentiment for sure. But 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 we think that's that's where we're going to leave it today, guys. So so we we just we we were, like I said we we were talking about doing this international podcast, and as, as we started getting into it, sort of devolved into this this conversation around around expressions and how architecture has in some ways or in different cities has sort of influenced that. So. So we thought we'd, we'd share that, in particular, in light of, of Matthew's story about about Brazil and learning Portuguese and, and starting to understand how things really mean. Because I think every culture has their own idioms that certainly wouldn't translate well here. 
although obviously pulling your leg kind of does, but, but different time, different place. So we want to say thank you guys for listening, for checking in with us. We'll, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're, we're trying to sort of get back into sort of a, an every two week routine as, as Matthew continues to work and maybe a little bit in the future, we'll start getting back to every week. But for right now we're going to keep the two week schedule. And if you, of course, need to reach out to us, you can always get me, Larry, at SpottedDogArchitecture.com or at SpottedDogArch on Instagram and Twitter and SpottedDogArchitecture on Facebook. And if you want to talk to Matthew, you can always reach him at... You can find our website at ArchitectureGeeks.com. You can hit us up on Instagram at ArchGeeksPodcast. And you can find me on Twitter at ArchGeekMatt. Well, thank you guys again for tuning in and listening. I think our next podcast might actually be the next international series. Uh, we the the interesting thing about doing this, guys, is that every once in a while we'll just we'll start to record a session and get sidetracked, and suddenly out of that comes two or three different ideas for future podcasts. So it's kind of fun, but we think we might have a good good international series podcast coming up. So hopefully, here in a couple of weeks, we'll do that. But in the meantime, go out, enjoy yourself. It's springing outside, so it's it's starting to get better weather and hopefully you'll go out and enjoy the great outdoors and at least until it gets hot in the meantime have fun and we will talk with you guys later bye bye